Southern Skies. Online Media. and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 67 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Vischer, and with me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, how you going, mate? Oh, I'm very, very well. This is a big episode for us. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Oh, uh, yeah, we've been itching to get this one in the bag. It's uh, got a lot of great content and a special big announcement at the end. And uh, also joining us from Adelaide, South Australia, is Bez Sheffers. G'day, Bez. G'day, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Uh, now, tell us, uh, before we go any further, how's the Oz Runway uh, going for you? <laughs> it's going like a house on fire, but uh, without all the uh, destructive uh, damage that normal <laughs> fires do. Uh, I never really got that uh, saying, like a house on fire, because normal is not a good thing. But for us, it's uh, yeah, it's gone fantastic. Well, I see you got some uh, column inches in the regular press the other day. Yes, we did. Had a photographer out and everything, uh, take some cool pictures of uh, Rowan and I. Cool. Uh, it's gone really well. And, and I hear uh, there's some other publications. Uh, you know, it's on their, uh, uh, their repsil a bit, but uh, there's some other aviation publications doing some uh, articles on it. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's going to be fantastic. And how's that and Android yeah. development coming along, mate? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? You know, I don't want to badmouth it. Is, it is a good platform. It's got a way to go. But I, I get the feeling that at least half of the people that ask us about an Android version don't actually have an Android device yet. They're just so anti-Apple. Uh, they, ha- they, don't, they want a tablet device to run our software. But, you know, they don't have one yet. So it's, uh, uh, we still, you know, once that market matures, then we definitely want to be on there. Uh, but it's not uh, the, the most important thing for us right now. The, the most important thing is just have the best electronic flight bag in Australia. Well, mate, as the owner of two Android devices and in a house with another two as well, I've got to say your application is the only thing that would get me to buy an iPad. <laughs> yeah. So there a, you go. Why you. did you buy an iPad? To run Baz's software. There you go. Well, no more plugs for Bazaar Software. I'll have to send him a bill, Grant. Oh, okay. Oh, isn't he already advertising with us? Oh, oh take it all back. Take it all back. I don't, <laughs> no, I'm never buying an L. What would I need Oz Runways for? No, right, no, no, mate. no, no. Run up an invoice for him. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Ding. All right, I'll, I'll send you a bill for my time on the show. Okay, well, we, we're, we're very prompt payers, as you well know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, by now you would be uh, well aware that I've uh, had the privilege to uh, go up with uh, Jetride's uh, L39, and uh, you've probably seen the uh, the video that we've made of that. Actually, we've made a few videos now and put them up into our YouTube channel and uh, those sorts of places. Well, uh, we thought it was uh, high time we got the guys back from Jetride to uh, have a bit of a chat about uh, that business and some of the uh, technical side of that, uh, and they also run a couple of other really interesting businesses. And uh, like Grant said, we've got an announcement to make uh, a bit later in the show. So uh, without further ado, we welcome to the show Mark Pracy and his son Mark Jr. G'day guys. G'day Steve, how are you going? Very, very well. And uh, you guys have been uh, globetrotting all over the place. And uh, so I guess you'd be happy to be back in Australia and uh, settling down after a hectic month or so for you. Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, been all around the US uh, organising aircraft and and getting aircraft to uh, Reno to, in preparation for PRS. 
and uh, young Mark there's been there way before me to uh, reorganise that as well and uh, it's been a very busy time. And I guess uh, just kicking it right off at the top there talking about Reno, I, th- I think Mark that uh, congratulations are in order, you've, uh, you've, you've hit a career milestone there in a way and uh, got yourself a racing licence. Yeah absolutely, it's, uh, it's a, a big stepping stone actually and it's uh, due to the girl guys helping me as well. I mean, you, you can't do anything like this on, on your own. It's a big journey and there's a, a lot of things to do and it's a bit of a team effort, actually. Well, we'll get on to talking about the race team in, in a little while and we'll, uh, we'll, we also want to talk about uh, the aircraft importing business. We thought we'd uh, start with the journey. I mean, I've got to tell you, uh, it's been, what, a month and a half now since I did the ride in the L39 with you guys and I'm still buzzing from it. We thought what we would do is um, talk about how you guys came to get to where you are and where it all started for you. I mean, uh, what the uh, the early influences were for you to uh, get into aviation in the first place. Yeah, well, I guess it's uh, something from a young age. I mean, I always um, remember when I was in primary school, you know, I'd loved to owned or flown a P-51 Mustang. I mean, I still haven't done that yet, but uh, I always remember doing projects at school and uh, being very interested in World War II aircraft and warbirds alike. I wasn't too interested in general aviation, to be honest. Um, more of the uh, classic old warbirds, that was the, the, the path that I knew that I was going to take. And being in the part of Australia where you are, I mean, you're not far from the from the RAF base, I guess. I mean, is there a lot of warbirds up your way that, is, that had that sort of influence? No, we, we lived in Scone for a fair while, and uh, we lived uh, pretty much a, a beam the threshold uh, of, uh, you know, the runway. And up there, of course, you'd, you'd know that there's uh, there was Spitfire up there and Mustang and, and Kitty Hawk and all that sort of stuff uh, roaring around a lot of the times. And uh you know, that, that was uh, been in the right place at the right time too, I, I, I guess, to uh, inspire, to uh, push on and keep going. Yep. That was where Cole Pay had all his aircraft, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I mean, uh, he was up there and uh, obviously before we went there, I, I learned how to fly out of Sydney. But uh, like I said, Warburg was the, uh, the angle I wanted to take and uh, it just appeared to be at the right place at the right time to, to keep that... Um, Fire going sort of thing. So we ended up buying uh, a T624 that was uh, for ex Singapore Air Force, which is like an air tour. And then uh, we moved on to uh, Yak 52s as well whilst we're up there and uh, got into flying that way. I actually done my aerobatic rating with Cole Pay and low level aerobatic rating, initial low level aerobatic rating with Cole Pay. You're also an, an aerobatics instructor. I know that's part of your your, uh, your, your introduction when you uh, you take everybody on their rides up in the jet. So that was a natural progression for you, I guess, going into commercial and then getting that instructor rating? Pretty much. I mean, um, you know, I was toing and throwing from Scone back to Sydney. It was a friend of mine down in Sydney that uh, had a flying school down there, and he, he taught, you know, a lot of formation and aerobatics like that. So he sort of – he needed somebody to help in that respect, so he went down the path of instruction because uh, we're, we're being a safety pilot all the time. It's, you need to really get the instructor rating, so that's the path we went down to continue that on and, and to be useful in in helping others, I guess. I didn't I didn't do it for money or anything like that. It was just a, a tool that you had to have if you were going to participate in that sort of thing. How many years have you done the aerobatics instructing, Mark? Uh, probably uh, with the instructor, probably four years, I guess, we've done the uh, instructing and... As of late, you know, I haven't had time to be able to do that and use use the the, the instructional tool. But um, you know, every now and again, it gets called upon, and we can do it. But I mean, uh, 
like I say, times are very, very busy lately. The interesting thing for us to seeing you in a jet, and I mean, it's probably the first question that, um, uh, it's probably one of the first questions I had for you, if memory serves, and probably a lot of people would ask you, but uh, you actually didn't come through the RAF, and seeing you flying a, a you know, a former military jet, is that something that you find is common, I guess, when you're dealing with people over in the States with race pilots and stuff? I mean, what percentage would have come through the civilian training scheme that are doing it the way you guys have done it? Oh, look, I, I guess it's a, a low percentage. I mean, that question gets asked all the time, uh, you know, was you a RAF pilot and and so on and so forth. And the answer to that is no, I wasn't. But uh, to be honest, it's just an aeroplane. I mean, it's just another aeroplane. It's as if it was a uh, Learjet or something like that. And uh, you, you combined all your skills together to, to do what you do. I mean, if it was a Learjet, you'd fly it straight and level. Uh, but it's not. It's, an, it's a jet, but it's an aerobatic plane. So you throw your aerobatic skills into it as well. So you never just signed out to fly something like that. You've got to go through the right check and training uh, procedures and because uh, it's a type-rated aircraft. And, um, yeah, and, of course, you've you got to have the inherent skill, I guess, to, to fly something like that. And um, if you've had the correct training in the first place and you and you have a bit of a desire to for perfection, I guess, it's just like a normal aeroplane. As long as you know what the systems are and the, the emergency systems and the way the engine responds, which is the big thing with the jet, is the lag in the engine is, is the main thing, is what what will capture a lot of pilots that don't have any jet-type rating. So uh, that's something you have to be fully aware of. That was actually one of the interesting things I, I kind of noticed when we were in the jet that day taking off, like from when I was watching you make control inputs as best I could from the back there, and you're pushing the what I assume was the throttle forward, there was there was a bit of a, a lag there between when the actual the engine started to spool up. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, from, from idle to full power can take up to nine seconds. So if, if a standard aircraft, you know, you're, you're a bit fast and you're a bit high, people tend to uh, pull the throttle right back to idle until you get the correct speed. Well, you can't do that in a jet because if you do that and then all of a sudden you need power, well, it's going to take nine seconds to come back on. So you have to manage the speed a lot lot, um, more fluid. So you you bring it back to nothing less than 80%. And uh, from 80% to, uh, to full power, you know, it can only take one or two seconds and you've got uh, all the powers required. So it's a different technique to fly the aircraft. And, and that's the main topic with the jet is, is, is having that technique, uh, you know, under full control. And then that way you'll, uh, you should be fine. You talk about it being a specific type rating. I mean, how many people would be around in this part of the world? I mean, well, that's an interesting question in itself. Did you learn to fly the jet here in Australia or did you have to go overseas to do that training? Yeah, no, I, I learned to fly it in Australia. There's a, a company in Sydney called Air Combat that will do uh, type ratings in uh, MiG-15, Iskra jets, L-39, and pretty much any Eastern Bloc um, you know, jet fighter, they'll, they'll do... Uh, type ratings on and aerobatic ratings and formation ratings and stuff like that. You know, there's certainly companies out there that specialise in that type of thing. Because there's not that many L-39s in the country, I think. Uh, Baz, there's one at uh, Adelaide Way, I think, isn't there, a blue one? Uh, yeah, there is. It's uh, based out at uh, Goolwa, just uh, south of Adelaide. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of guys down there that all that um, hide one, and uh, I think there's about five or six of them. That, they've only just got it, so I don't know how much time they'd have in it, but I guess there wouldn't be too much. That's, uh, yeah, NLD, that's the white and blue one down there. Yeah, an interesting uh, an interesting paint. I've only seen pictures of that one on, you know, like airliners.net and stuff like that, but it, it's, um, it, it does have a bit of a different look to it without the military markings all over it. It, it yeah. does. It certainly does that one. The, the owner of that uh, didn't want a military look of it. The owner actually lives uh, in North Queensland and he wanted to go down the civilian look, so he uh, elected to paint it like more like a, a Piper or a Cessna. <laughs> 
And what is it with the L39? Is it? I mean, there seems to be, I think you guys mentioned to us uh, the day we flew that there's some 300 or so of them running around in North America. Is it just an aircraft that's, obviously there's a lot of them that are now surplus with the fall of the, you know, the Iron Curtain and all that sort of stuff? Uh, yes, with the L39, there's, they, they built 2,800 of them and uh, there, there is 300 in America just as uh, personal toys, but um, they are still current today in the military, like uh, Thailand operate 40 of them daily, uh, Egyptian Air Force have um, uh, 58 of them and Libya have 1,500, but I mean, uh, wow. yeah, I mean they're not flying theirs at the moment, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there is certainly a lot out there. I mean, we only have, I believe, uh, seven in Australia now, but, uh, yeah, 300 in America. And you guys sort of like a a jet version of the Yak-52 and so on that's very popular over here with the the propeller (sighs) set. That's correct, yes. I mean, it's it's very much like the, the Yak-52, including the instrumentation in the L-39 is very similar to the Yak-52. Yeah, it's interesting uh, sitting in the back there, all the gauges are in Cyrillic, which um, I guess makes sense, but it, it kind of, you know, it, it, the first time you see it, it really does kind of make you think that, yeah, this is actually a Soviet sort of era aircraft. Yeah, having all those uh, instruments with the Soviet markings on, that's only to stop you touching things, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different in the front, though. It's uh, It's more English. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So. <laughs> well, I have I have heard that there's, uh, I think it's Avidyne have done a glass cockpit for the L39. They certainly have, yes, and also Garmin have as well now. They they run everything all the way to the engine controls as well now. One of the interesting things I was wondering about, you know, you see the RAF uh, going around training their pilots in Hawk 127s. I mean, uh, you know, I guess just from looking at them side by side, they're similar sort of size. I mean, performance-wise, would, would that be a good yardstick to measure it by with the, with the Hawk? Yeah, they look they look similar to a hawk. I think a hawk's got uh, six thousand pounds of thrust. I think so. They they're pretty much the same size, but the hawk's got a fair bit more boot to it. So um, yeah, performance wise, they'd outdo the old thirty nine by far. And of the seven that are in this country, um, you you guys have actually got two of them, I believe. Yeah, well, I think there's about nine actually. I mean, um, but we, yeah, we do have two of them. We, we've got one in Reno and we've got one here in uh, Hunter Valley. So uh, we've got one at, sitting at Steed Airport that's uh, our race plane that we'll be using the race. And uh, I guess when we're uh, finished doing that, we'll uh, eventually bring it back to Australia sometime. Getting these aircraft into the country, I mean, is I mean, particularly when you're dealing with the likes of CASA, I mean, is that is that a very involved process? I believe this aircraft that you've got now was already in the country, but what sort of red tape or hoops do you have to go through to get it up to a point where you can actually fly it and do what you guys do with it? We're quite uh, lucky with the um, the military stuff. That there's an organisation, Warbirds Australia, that we operate through. So that's a that's a body off CASA. So. Um, we, we deal directly with them when it comes to certifying the aircraft and, and even importing it, doing certificate of airworthiness. It's done through the Australian Warbirds after it's imported, yes. Sort of like how RAA and the Australian it, Ballooning Federation run their own shop. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, I was actually on the board of Australian Warbirds for two years and um, and it's identical to RAOs and, yeah, the balloons and skydiving. Skydiving and um, hang gliders and so on, yeah. Th- that's right, yep. Yeah, it's identical. So we're quite lucky there. We get deal directly with those guys, and it works well for us. And one thing that really interests me is is the particularly in you know we've done a lot of uh, interviews and stuff with with Air Force pilots. They're obviously incredibly fit. How again? How does Castle look at that with regard to medical standards? Is there anything any specific requirements, or is it just you know maintained to a the usual commercial standard? Well, you get that within your when you do your class one medical because you're a commercial pilot, uh, pretty much run the commercial operation. So as you progress through your medical you know you've got to tick what sort of operations you're conducting as in 
uh, aerobatics and whatever and whatnot. So it's all based on 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 that, I guess. You, you're uh, how you perceive is your fitness and your health and your diet and uh, yeah, stuff like that. So that's all based on that. And actually, Mark, you're quite tall, actually, which is uh, you know we we you know we spend a lot of time, for instance, talking to Matt Hall, and uh, Matt Hall is is not exactly a tall fella, is he? But uh, so in that way, I guess uh, you you sort of don't fit the mould so much that way with uh, fighter pilots. I've not, I mean, this may be a gross, terrible generalisation, but I don't find a lot of tall, broad-shouldered uh, fighter pilots around. Not that we've come across. Yeah, they're, they're not really. I mean, in saying that, though, we've got a guy. Dan O'Donnell, which is up at our airport, he's six foot three. He's an F eighteen pilot, so I think he's I think he's busted the mold for the whole uh, whole, whole air force. So, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not common to have a big guy in in the front cockpit, but uh, you know, Russian plane built for big Russians, I guess. Yeah, well, it fitted me in nicely, which I was very happy about. Yeah, look, we've had a lot of guys. We've had Andrew Gage in the in the. Uh, the old thirty nine, he's six foot seven or six foot eight, and uh, <laughs> he he fit all okay. He was he was quite concerned, but he was quite comfortable. So now, uh, Drew, he goes a bit of a childhood hero of mine. How did he uh, handle the flight? <laughs> well, well, it's quite funny actually. It's the funniest video I've ever seen in my life. I mean, uh, we're thinking about sending it into funny videos. To be quite honest, I think he, he was screaming. <laughs> he oh, was yeah. screaming. <laughs> But 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 that uh, that that segment will be aired on the sixteenth of July, I believe, Channel Seven. So you get to watch that; you'll have some good laughs. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a really nice guy. And he's a real character, and it's funny to have someone go on the jet that uh, didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys yeah, actually show on your promotional video is it Arn Arn Doe? Is that his name? Yeah, that was an Australian comedian we took from the uh, footy show. He he uh, took on the challenge that he wanted to do as. As much as the jet could do, but just to prove a point, he was going to. He ate a couple of hamburgers and a chocolate milkshake, and oh god, and uh, yeah, that didn't go too well for him. But <laughs> well, he does say he's the funniest refugee, so you know. he's a, he's a pretty funny guy, and he had some fun, and we had some you know fun with him, and uh, yeah, you can see that. That's on YouTube. You can type in Arndo and have a look at Jet Fighter or something like that, and have a bit of a laugh. Well, that, that leads to an interesting point. Um, I mean, the day that we flew, I think we flew, what, about sort of, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And the two biggest things that I was concerned about doing, like everybody, I guess, was A, throwing up in the jet and B, passing out from the Gs. Now, I'm happy to say neither of that happened, although I think if you'd done a couple more loops, it might have happened. But um, that would be something that a lot of people, I guess, would be concerned about. In my case, I'd not eaten anything since half past eight that morning. I mean, uh, I guess that probably wasn't a wise thing to do either. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's always good to have something in your stomach because as you pull G's, you know, your uh, your heart will get pulled down in your empty stomach and that causes a bit of a uh, problem for you as in sustaining G-force. But to be honest, I mean, we don't fly the aircraft to, to make you sick or to... Uh, to, to make you pass out. Like if a comedian is going to come up and say, look, you can't knock me out, well, he's going to get knocked out. There's no doubt in that. <laughs> but but um, if you're just a general person who wants to go for fly, we, we don't fly it that way. I mean, everybody always comes worried about how they'll handle it and and uh, what Gs they'll be able to sustain. But we, we don't fly the aircraft in that fashion. We uh, fly you to have a good time and enjoy the experience, not be uh, fearful or or uh, be sick. I mean, the, the worst thing is, is to have someone sick. So, yeah. you know, we, we talk to them all the time and, and try and gauge how they're, they're feeling because everybody's different. You know, some people want to go wild. Some people just want to take it easy. So you got to keep talking to them and, and, and engaging how they're going so I can fly the aircraft to, to their needs, I guess. Know your limits, I think, is good advice, would you say? 
Well, it is. I mean, a good person always knows their limits. I mean, when they say knock it off, I've had enough, they're, they're generally a bit older and a bit wiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've um, heard and found that uh, having a lot of uh, fluid, you know, being well hydrated and, and in reasonable shape helps you being, when you're out there throwing it around a bit, uh, a little bit of food in the stomach, yeah. Uh, any other tips? That- yeah, a little bit of food in the stomach and go with the aircraft, you know, don't try and fight it. It's like if you get someone on a motorbike and you're turning left and they want to turn right, it, it upsets the motorbike a little. Well, the aeroplane's the same. If, if the plane's going left and they want to try and sit up straight to, to, to make it go the other way, well, it's just not going to gel with them. So it, it throws them out a little bit and it just uh, increases the anxiety and and all that sort of thing. But you'll find when you get in the jet, the jet's very smooth, very quiet. It's not the beast that you uh, anticipate it to be. You know, that, that's the main thing that people find. They, they think they're going to get in this rumbling thing that's going to be like the space shuttle, but... Uh, it's not really, and it's very smooth and quiet. It was very, very smooth, and you know, I've described it to a number of people. You know, Mark, when we got out there over Western Port Bay and you were, you were doing the, all the manoeuvres there, there was quite often points where I actually felt like we were more sitting in a fixed point in space and the world was spinning around us. It was an interesting sensation. Like, there's, you can feel the momentum of the aircraft. It's it's quite heavy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you can put it to the, the sense of it's like a big video game. You know, if you've got minimal G on, it, it really is like inside a video game. The only difference you can find is, is when you load the G up, that's the difference that you'll feel uh, where things are starting to change a little bit because, you know, the brain's telling you, hey, something else is going on here. What is it? I don't know. And that, that's that's the strange sensation. It's quite different to being in a – it sounds like quite different to being in an extra or a yak or things like that where you're really you know, it is. grunting it around. It is. It's extremely different because the extra and the yak have uh, different noises, groans. They're yawing all over the place if the pilot's not on the rudder properly as the – power is coming on and off or whether they're on the up line or the down line well the jet doesn't have that problem either because the center line thrust it just wants to go straight no matter which way you point it and the engine tone doesn't change where the yaks and stuff they will and uh and being a radial engine you know you got uh, there's only four cylinders that work and the rest are just going around <laughs> you, 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 you know so the jet's not like that and uh that's, that's yeah <laughs> Yeah, so the jet's not like that, and it gives a very smooth perception. Mark, I'm interested to know about the uh, some of the configurations you've got in, particularly for takeoff. I notice you've got some flap in when you uh, when you're on departure there. Uh, what sort of settings do you use when you're uh, pulling out of the airport? Yeah, look, it's got two stages of flap. You know, you've only got uh, like first stage and then last stage really to, to uh, for landing. The first stage is just for takeoff. It just gives you a shorter ground roll and uh, gives you a better climb rate as you're going out with the coming out of the airport and uh, you know you're going at full power lift off around about 100 knots and then you sort of climb out to about 200 knots for best for best climb and uh, yeah your flaps are away at 140 knots and if you don't um, if you don't bring, put them away at 140 knots they'll put himself away at 160 <laughs> so she's so she's pretty smart so oh, it's not like they get ripped off it's that this the aircraft will actually do it for you yeah, she'll just sort of drop them away for you if you uh, forget. But, uh, yeah, so it's got a, a, a speed sensor that will uh, detect that you're going over flat speed and it'll just tuck them away. Now, the main way you'll see that is if you're flying with a dissimilar aircraft doing formation or something like that and uh, you've just got a one stage of flap out and then all of a sudden you pick a bit of speed up and you're watching the other aircraft, your, your flaps drop away and you'll sort of get a bit of a fright. Suddenly you're much closer. Yeah, well, you're not not much closer. You just get, you're just going down. That's all. Yeah. Oh, isn't that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that horrible sinking feeling. 
Yeah, you just get a bit of a sinking feeling, but you within half a second you realise what's happened and thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's go through the, um, the 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 shotgun mission. I think is it the shotgun mission you call it? The Top Gun mission. Yeah. You got Top Gun 15, 20, 25, 30, and thirty five. What do we call it? The slingshot mission. I think you called it. Slings. Yeah, slingshot mission. That's like a fifteen minute mission. Uh, okay, so let's uh, so we get we get up in the air, we're airborne, we've um, we've you know done a couple of clearing manoeuvres to make sure there's no one else around. I mean, is it a, is it a, a rehearsed routine that you go through, or are you just sort of of base it well, on who you've got yeah, in the back at the time. I guess it is a rehearsal. I mean, we're doing about 50 rides a month, so you, you can pretty much put it down to a T. You know what you're going to do. And uh, the first thing is that, you know, you clean the aircraft up and climb out and just sort of uh, let let the passenger know what you're doing. You know, you climb to 5,500 or 6,000 feet, whatever it's going to be. Uh, and then you just climb the aircraft up. We will uh, just be flying along and then just get them to just to tense up a little and we'll just roll the aircraft around. You know, the the passenger think they're just going for a ride, but we're actually clearing underneath the aircraft and we're looking around, getting a good look of who's around and who's about, you know, because you don't want to descend on top of anybody. Being an aerobatic plane, you know, you're going to cut the sky a fair bit, so you'll just do a roll and have a look around and do a bit of a circle just to see who's about and then you'll go in for a barrel roll is the first thing you'll do. Nice, gentle manoeuvre, about a two and a half G manoeuvre, you'll bring them up, do a barrel roll to the right and then a barrel roll to the left. And that just eases them in, eases them into the situation. Gauge how they're going. I mean, if they're uh, screaming at two and a half D, you know you're not, you don't want to go any more than that because um, everybody's tolerances are different and uh, not one person's the same. So, you know, you've got to try and gauge how they're feeling. And if you know if they're Yahoo and in the back at, at two and a half to three G, you know you're going to be pretty right for a loop because a loop takes around four G. Uh, so if the loop takes 4G, that's pretty standard for most aircraft, isn't it? Most loops pretty much. 4G. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you can do, with the jet, you can do one at 3G if you like. You're just going to have to have a lot more speed and take it easy. But, you know, if you're just going for a standard loop, you know, you'll be a 4G manoeuvre. So, uh, you know, you, you capture your speed and uh, and just get them to tense up and away they go. Get them to hold their hands out in front. I don't know if I got you to do that, Steve, but that's a bit of a gig we do. Get them to hold their hands out in front and... Uh, what they do then is they think, okay, I can do that. And then you pull on 4G. Sometimes you pull on 5G if you want to be a bit clever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, see if they can hold their hands up. Generally, they can't. And that gives that, that then gives them the impression of uh, how G-Force works and what it can do to you. And it's good for the camera, you know, it's good for the camera. <laughs> I really had to keep smiling that. in that camera, but I could feel it. Feel it pressing. Actually, the thing that surprised me, and I'd, I'd really only ever done aerobatics once prior to um, when I'd been up with you, and that was, you know, sort of nearly 20 years before. And um, I sort of anticipated it would push me down through my chest and back into the seat, but in actuality, it, it, it surprised me because it pushes straight down from the top of your head. It does. It, it acts over you evenly, I guess. I mean, it, it distributes nice and evenly for you, so it takes all them wrinkles out of your face, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, at 40, that's a good thing, mate. <laughs> it is like Space Cowboy. Oh, it does get the wrinkles out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I've done some aerobatics with friends and, and light aircraft and have been holding the camera to get some shots going around. And, yeah, you pull it out of the loop going, oh, I'm holding that, I'm holding it. Oh, God, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's always the thing. Everybody always wants to take their camera on board and just say, look, you, to be honest, you, you're best off just leaving it and then let the camera do its work because you can't hold it. You know, that's even like, for instance, yeah, for instance, if I'm doing an aerobatic manoeuvre and all of a sudden uh, – 
I've had a request from our ground crew to just flip channels and that, and I've got to put my own hand up to change the channel. I go, well, hang on a minute, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait a couple more seconds and then I'll go for a channel change. What do you reckon is the most intense manoeuvre that you do? I think it was the, the Cuban Cuban 8, is that what we did? Yeah, look, the Cuban 8's fairly easy. It's just a double loop, to be honest. Uh, the, probably the, the, the best one for the all-39 is the vertical roll, which is uh, fairly impressive. You get the aircraft uh, running vertical and check clear that you're running vertical and running straight up and then just give her a roll so you do a 360 degree roll as you're on the way up and then once you get to the top you've actually got no energy left and then you just uh, just stop the roll rate and just bring the stick back and just basically do a bit of a combat loop off the top and then just point the aircraft directly down at the ground at a, a given fixed point and then just run straight at it and then give it another 360 degree turn and then uh, wings stop the roll rate again wings level and it'll pull out you go so Oh, That's the best one. <laughs> I'm drooling sitting here. I'm drooling. Yeah, Grant's the, Grant's the aerobatics fanatic. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best one ever with it. So now here the, I'm wondering, nice. with uh, with you being an instructor, yeah, and uh, do you actually give instruction in aerobatics in that aircraft for to licensed pilots? Uh, well, we don't. No, not in this one. We don't because um, well, it's this one's sheer just a an adventure machine. I mean, we don't. There's not much call for, for us to be doing instruction in this aircraft. Oh, I'm, I'm not looking to do a whole course and learn how to fly it. I just want to get the stick on those 25 minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you can. You can do that. But in, but when you do an adventure ride, you know, an adventure ride uh, legally is not a training ride. Yeah, so exactly. You, you've got to depict the two differences. So you've got an adventure ride and you've got a training ride. There's two different yeah. things. And you, and you should probably, do you, does your company actually have a uh, uh, flying school um, AOC? No, we don't, no. So you just have the charter adventure, or you probably not even charter, it's a warbird. Uh, yeah, she's a warbird, so it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a limited category uh, adventure ride. So yeah. It, it's a sheer eight away flight, an adventure only. Oh, well, I'll have to uh, get my stick time somewhere else then. <laughs> you uh, want to come along you with got, your logbook and get it logged. Yeah, you got plenty of money, Bez. We have a lot of pe- we actually have oh. a lot of people ask about training, but uh, when they hear the six thousand dollar an hour bill, they sort of they, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sort of stops it. Well, I yeah. notice I notice that um, was a bet every second time you come back down. Um, it was you know back to the fuel truck and topping up again. So yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And the other so, thing, the other thing for Baz too. By the time he's ready to do it, he'll be on a pole by the end. It'll be ten years, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, we'll organize it now and uh, you know we'll see how we go yeah exactly um how do you go around getting new pilots onto the aircraft yeah look we have this request all the time to be honest i mean um, everybody wants to be a pilot of an l39 and we have a lot of air force guys that uh try and chase us down to to uh come and fly the jet um but the thing is, you know, you it, it's difficult because uh, we're running out of a um, an airport that's, uh, you know, it's fairly, it's not marginal, but it's, you know, as you've seen in Turretin, it's a short airport. So you, you really have to be on the ball of the limits of the aircraft and, and how you actually fly yourself uh, and the training that you have to be involved to, to fly at, at, you know, the airports that we fly in Australia, when you fly in the Air Force and you, you're flying out of a 3,000 metre runway all the time. Yeah, it's a bit of a luxury, but uh, where we're flying the our jet, fourteen hundred meters is pretty common, I guess. Well, uh, one of the uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we move on, guys, and that's about the emergency routine. Now, of course, these these jets are fitted with ejection seats, um, and you know you've you've got those disconnected for uh, for pretty obvious reasons, I think. So we have to suit up in a parachute. Mark, can you take us through the routine? Um, I found it fascinating. You know, the routine that you talk to the people that are coming up with you about, and what's going to happen if the worst happens and we've got to abandon the aircraft. 
Yeah, we take the we take the people through a, a couple of different drills, you know, regarding whether it's going to be a fire exit or whether it's going to be a collision exit, because you've got two lots of exits. You know, one the fire exit, you still have control of the aircraft, uh, or the collision exit, you know, you, you you don't have control of the aircraft. And uh, we we talk them through how we would get out of the aircraft and uh, how to, how to jettison the canopy and. Uh, what to listen for and what words to listen for and, and what's going on. And also for them to identify what's happened as well. Don't just sit there as a passenger and assume, you know, everything will be okay. You know, you have to uh, take the worst case scenario if something's going wrong. And in, in that sense, we talk about how to get out of the seat and how to get out of the cockpit. And because the aircraft does have the ejection seat disconnected, for the simple fact is, you know, you wouldn't put a civilian in an, an ejection seat anyway, because uh, I can tell you they will eject it sitting on the tarmac. Because we know that because they'll they'll pull the parachute sitting on the tarmac. So um, you know, and it's happened in South Africa where they've had people uh, eject themselves onto the tarmac. So what you would do, you'd end up injuring and losing more people as a risk in putting them in the aircraft than what you would by having live seats. So uh, with that decision of having cold seats, that means the pilot seat's got to be cold as well because, you know, of course, you couldn't punch out and let them fly the aircraft and run if there was a problem. So, uh, yeah, we, we take them through that routine and uh, and drill them fairly well, I guess. So the idea is that if we're going to abandon the aircraft, you'll say, get out, get out, get out, and we'll sort of repeat that a couple of times and the canopy will come away and um, you'll basically turn the aircraft upside down and, and tip us out. Yeah, that's on a controlled exit. That would be on a fire exit if we had to get out, if we couldn't put the fire out because the aircraft craft's got fire extinguishers and it's got all the special fuel cutoff scenarios so if we put the fire out of course we'd stay with the aircraft if we couldn't put the fire out and uh and we're, we're going to abandon the aircraft that's where you give them the signal get out get out get out and pump your fist and then they could uh, respond back to you get out get out get out as, as they've confirmed it and you reinstate it again and then you go through the drill to exit so the first thing will happen is their canopy will they get them to pull their canopy first it will pull their seatbelt off first then pull their canopy and then uh, once the canopy's gone, they'll have their arms folded on the D-ring of the uh, parachute, flip the aircraft upside down and uh, out they go. And then they go through the uh, parachute drill, which they've been explained. And then we'd write the aircraft back up again and then uh, flip my seatbelt off, canopy, and then I'd go upside down and then out you go again. And obviously point the aircraft in the direction where it's going to... Uh, Hopefully going to some trees, I guess. Trees or water. Trees or water, but that's that's the worst case scenario. I mean, just because you have a fire on board doesn't mean you all of them dive out. So you'd have to try and uh, arrest the fire first. Okay, so um, that's just about taking it through all the uh, the flying side of stuff. I'm just curious to know. I mean, how did you guys come up with the idea to to get into this sort of adventure business in the first place? Yeah, well, um, oh, Mark had a good idea regarding the jet. Young Mark, he. Uh, he had a good inspiration to get that one, but uh, we basically, it was just a culmination of, of progression, I guess, you know, a stepping stone. It's uh, and when you become an instructor or when you, because I'm an air show pilot as well, so I, I fly um, Yak-52s or, or uh, Harvards um, or T6s, whatever they, what you would call them, and, uh, and the jet, I've got a 500-foot low-level aerobatic wave for all those aircraft. And when you get around in those sorts of fields, I mean, people then offer you certain stuff. They think, oh, okay, you can fly this, and can you fly this for me, and can you fly that for me? Can you teach me how to do this in my aircraft? And you tend to sort of get around a little bit, I guess, and that's how the progression starts. And it's obviously um, a business that's doing well. I think the, the week that you were down here, it was uh, 54 rides I think you had booked. Yeah, it's, it's pretty common to have something like that for us going. I mean, uh, we're coming down to Melbourne again sometime soon. I think there's something like 50-something booked already. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to be continuous. And, uh, you know, I think we just do all the right things and 
we uh, look after the customers, which is the main thing, and we give them what they what they're paying for, I guess. And uh, they like the service, and and that 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 word's getting around, and we've got repeat customers and 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 referrals, constant referrals. So awesome. you know, if you you know you you hear people have been out there doing it for a long time, but the thing is, if you take a bit, little bit from everything and and do the right thing, uh, you will get repeat customers. Yeah. Look after the customer, and they'll look after you. Look, absolutely. I mean, and, and provide what you say you're going to provide. I mean, we own the aircraft. This is the biggest thing. The biggest problem is with with jet fighters and stuff like that. A lot of them are not owned by people, and uh, that can cause trouble. So if you own the gear, you, you can cut the deal, and there's no middleman. You you know, you're talking to the person and, you know, arranging the deal and not going through a third and fourth party. Uh, it makes That can make life a little difficult for everybody. Well, of course, you guys um, not only have the jet ride business, but, uh, you know, when it comes to aviation, I mean, we always like to plug, you know, good news stories, and there's a lot of doom and gloom around at the moment, you know, with, with the aircraft business. But, but you guys seem to be doing all the right things, and you've got two other businesses we wanted to talk about. Uh, we'll talk about the racing team in a minute, but um, you guys also have a business that imports aircraft. Yeah, we do. We, we do aircraft importing for all different types, including warbirds, but mainly... Uh small single engine aircraft and uh, that came about with um i actually used to own cessnock aircraft maintenance and um we maintained uh, bass air australia which is now the largest flying school in australia and come the time when all the indians came into the country they needed a lot of aircraft and they weren't available in the aviation trader and that was about five years ago and uh, they actually started to get myself to import the aircraft for them and that's where it all started so um and then obviously me and dad with our aircraft we've owned about 20 aircraft of our own we've imported a few of them as well and now with the dollar the way it is it's uh, becoming quite popular at the moment <laughs> it's, uh, it's it makes for fun shopping in america at the moment yeah so, so you've seen a <laughs> real spike in uh, in imports i certainly have and uh, as you're aware too we, we've just spent um, well i've just spent about six weeks in america and uh, at the same time we were racing over there i was importing aircraft as well so i you know i've brought three aircraft back just in this trip so yeah there, there is certainly a, a big spike it makes it a pleasant thing going over and going yeah that's not a bad price other than going oh i've got to pay what <laughs> well it works out well for us because me and dad are in america quite a lot so it, it yeah. works well when you can do two jobs over there at once we can be racing and doing things on with our jet and also importing aircraft so it it, it can be a problem as well i mean uh, we're over there and uh, mark looked at the aircraft and said i might we might buy this sort of glass here through and thought now what can we do with it we thought well it just doesn't matter we're just just something good to buy isn't it (laughs) that's right i think i mentioned to you steve that um i was looking at a glass air three and we yeah we uh we actually brought a a, a highly modified glass air three and um we've decided to race that as well so um that'll be at reno next year and we we do we do buy we do end up finding good deals and and buying some of our own aircraft while we're supposed to be buying other people's. <laughs> <laughs> so good you bought the company. Yeah. 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 So so how much uh, are we talking about for an uh, aircraft? Uh, well, I am an aircraft owner. Let's say I wanted to buy. I see, I see a very nice uh, uh, recent Diamond or or Cirrus in the US for uh, you know probably half the price that they're usually advertised for here. That's correct, yeah. What what would come on top of that to get it into Australia? Um, well, I'll refer more to a like a Cessna 182 or a 172 for the reason is with a Cirrus you got to you got to cut the tail off to import that into Australia. So that's a that's a completely different story. Well, they're not allowed to fly around with a tail in Australia? <laughs> no, they don't fit in the container. 
I, I was actually, well, how this came about was I actually wanted to purchase a Cirrus and uh, Dad was trying to tell me to get a Glass Air 3 and I said, no, no, I want a Cirrus. And then I did some research and they said, well, to fit the tar Cirrus into the container, you need to cut the tail off and then glue it back on when you get it home. And I thought, well, that's it. I don't want a Cirrus now. <laughs> Have they done that to every Cirrus in the country? They, they are now, yeah. I actually contacted Cirrus and they used to um, ferry a lot of them in, but now they're, um, they're bringing them in containers so they cut the tail off and and then they put it in a jig and redo it. Um, yeah, glue it back together, and uh, that sort of scared me off a little bit. But um, but with uh, importing a 172 or 182 or any Cherokee, um, you know your cost runs at about thirty five thousand as a um, fixed quoted price, and that's from flying in America to flying in Australia. And uh, yeah. and that's another thing that we offer as well. We do a it's like a one stop shop. We can arrange painting or new engines fitted, and the, the owner doesn't have to worry about anything customs or anything like. We help them pick the aircraft, and it's it's from flying in America to flying in Australia, and they don't have to worry about anything. So, what's included uh, in that uh, thirty-five grand? Uh, does that also include your average uh, import fees and things like that, or is it just your fee? No, that's totally everything, uh, and that includes uh, myself inspecting the aircraft personally, and that's how I can offer a uh, fixed quote because um, I'm a licensed engineer and and I do the pre-purchase myself and I pack it myself. I clear it through customs, I assemble it, I certify it, and I test fly it. So um, that's everything from start to finish. And that's what gives people a peace of mind because there is other importers out there which possibly do a great job, but um, they might be someone in America packing it, a different person in Australia building it, certifying it, and uh, it can turn into a bit of a recipe for disaster. So that's um, how it works well for us. We, we do it from start to finish. Yeah, the thing that always worries me the most and where you hear the horror stories are is is the paperwork. And I guess having um, a CASA licensed engineer going to inspect it all, not just technically, but also the paperwork in uh, in the US uh, would give me a, a bit of a, a comfortable feeling if I were importing. That's that's correct. I mean, uh, and like we do get an export C of A, so providing the paperwork is right. But if you just have someone else pack the aircraft, you really don't know the history of it or, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of snags that could catch you out. That's, um, that's why, as I say, our service works well because I won't import an aircraft that I haven't personally inspected because I can't give the owner a price to assemble it and have it certified. So it's no problem for me because I'm always going over there for two or three aircraft. So, um, I'll inspect the aircraft, and if there is any additional work or it's not worth purchasing, well, the owner's advised of that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things like, um, for, for example, people bring aircraft in, they don't realise that in America there's no 10-year life on the propeller. Well, we have a 10-year life on propellers here, so you won't certify it in Australia without getting a propeller overhaul, which can be $10,000 if you... <laughs> Yeah. If you get stuck with it, totally change the whole value proposition. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I imagine there would be a lot of pitfalls in the transition. How we try to model ourselves in some areas, but yeah, there's so many differences. Yeah, there certainly is. Yeah, and uh, like uh, we've been doing it for well, seven years now, so we've certainly done plenty of them. But uh, it it is getting more and more now with the the dollar the way it is. So, Baz, are you still thinking about importing that Cirrus? <laughs> Probably not a Cirrus now. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, look! I'll, if uh, you look. I, there's no problem with the Cirrus. I just, um, my opinion is I actually had a customer ring me about a Cirrus and, and I told him my exact thoughts and I said, well, I, I wouldn't get me to import that because um, I bring them in containers. Um, I'd certainly look at flying it in. I wouldn't I wouldn't chop the tail off. <laughs> yeah, and that's an adventure in itself. I can uh, 
not that I'm in a market for a series at the moment. It's uh, probably a few uh, years away, but uh, I can I can see taking it the long way around the world. It should be quite an adventure. Yeah, that would be costly. I mean, the, the long way around. I mean, they do fly the Cirruses directly across, and yeah. uh, they lay the back seats down and put ferry tanks in them. But uh, that's still a long way, though. That's uh, seven thousand miles. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of a stage in your life where the cost of the aircraft and the cost of the flight isn't really that important anymore. You just want the adventure. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dad knows all about that. He's done some uh, long water flying before. <laughs> I was in the fire brigade many years ago with a uh, with a gentleman uh, who's a commercial pilot, and uh, that was one of his specialities was uh, was doing ferry flights across the Pacific. I mean, uh, that must take. Uh, I, I'd be a nervous wreck doing flights like that in a small <laughs> aircraft. Well, I certainly wouldn't do it, but uh, Dad's probably got a nice story there that he'll tell you about. We took an Aerostar from Sydney to South Africa and took it straight across the Indian Ocean. Everybody else normally goes via India, and we didn't want to put up with the paperwork, so we just went from <laughs> Coca- we just went from Cocosol straight across to uh, wow. Mauritius over, I think it was 2,400 nautical miles of open ocean. So <laughs> we, we had her packed up with fuel. She, she had enough fuel for 20 hours, and it took about 14 hours to do that leg. But uh, yeah, it gets pretty lonely up there. <laughs> yeah, we've we've spoken to Steve Deeth, and uh, he was he was saying about how he got pretty good at reading uh, books while it was on autopilot. You know, <laughs> look up, check where's it all at. Right back to the book, look up, yeah, that <laughs> kind of thing. And and although now he's discovered that he can load not only music but also he's discovering podcasts to listen to when he's doing long haul. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember, I recall as we're going across about halfway across, you know, we're burning fuel off as we're going, and all of a sudden she's on autopilot. I think this is nice and easy, and then all of a sudden the autopilot let go and, <laughs> and uh, up we went and it gave us the biggest fright so, uh, those famous the, fat dumb and happy moments yeah they were yeah it was just quite quite happy and uh, all of a sudden that just took us right out so that was a bit of a scare Mark, uh, you and I have talked a, a lot. Of, I mean, most people who listen to this show would be well aware of my opinions of the way the uh, the US system works in many aspects compared to the way it works here in Australia. How's your experience in, for instance, dealing with the FAA and uh, some of the authorities over there when it comes to you know purchasing aircraft and uh, getting things done? Oh, well, I've got to tell you, dealing with the FAA, the, the experience that we've had uh, has been nothing but uh, ease. We've uh, they bend over backwards to help you, and uh, nothing's a problem. Uh, Absolutely, go, go right out of their way to help us to, to, to participate in this Reno race. I mean, uh, we've got an FAA guy there. He just done any, anything and everything he could to make it happen. And uh, it, to be honest, all of the Reno guys, all of the race officials, the uh, racing jets, uh, which was Kurt Brown and Mike Mangold, and that they've done everything uh, they could do to get us there. And then to top it off, the FAA was doing exactly the same. So we've been pretty fortunate. They even went to the extreme of changing the rules in the Reno Air Race because uh, we'll be the uh, first Australian registered aircraft to uh, participate in the race, oh. and uh, it's been very—it's—it's it's a lot easier working with the FAA, I, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the Reno Air Races, we've—we've we've got the uh, third company you guys run, which is Pracy Racing. I mean, you know, you're sitting there. You've got your aerobatics endorsement. You've got your aerobatics instructors. You've got your low-level endorsement. You uh, do air shows with aircraft. You've got an L39 of your your own. What else is there to do but go and experience some more of those sheer moments of terror by running it fast, low, and go left, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's uh, fly low, fast, and turn left. That's their, that's their catchphrase. That's pretty <laughs> that's pretty much how it is. I mean, uh, we went to PRS 
Uh, we're just getting back from there, actually, um, which is called Pile on Racing Seminar, not school, by the way. They uh, they pretty much uh, tell you that, not a school, because you've got to come to the to this event with your skills and the skills to race throughout your aviation career, and you just have to mix them all together to get it around the track. So if you get through uh, that scenario, then they uh, run you through on how to race. But uh, you have to have the skill to start with, and they make that fairly clear. Not every not everybody um, passed the the well, we might go to a break right now and then we'll come back and uh, talk some more about racing at Reno and what you guys are doing over there. Well, thanks. Not a problem. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation advertiser.com.au Flight experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot seat, flying past Sydney Harbour Bridge or the Eiffel Tower and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to stunning realistic visuals, flight experience puts you in control of a 737 flight simulator. It's so real your senses actually believe you're flying. For a gift that's really unique, get a voucher online at flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience. Hi, this is Max Flight. This is Milford from Flight Time Radio. You can catch Grant and Steve each week on the Airplane Geeks podcast with their Australia Desk Report. Over on our podcast, Steve and Grant send in a bi-weekly update that covers flying in the Southern Hemisphere. Our listeners look forward to the Flying Down Under segment for the great interviews and a taste of aviation life from another point of view. www.airplanegeeks.com to get a chance, visit flighttimeradio.com to learn a little about our radio show and podcast. Well, I've interrupted the show long enough, so let me turn all you plain crazies back over to the guys and their usual outstanding content. Cheers from America. And welcome back, folks. We are talking to Mark Pracy and Mark Pracy Jr. about uh, all things to do with uh, riding in jets, importing aircraft. And uh, we, uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, racing at Reno. Guys, uh, let's talk about the inspiration for that. I mean, uh, that's, that's a bit of a uh, quantum leap from, uh, you know, flying people like myself around the skies here over Turinen. Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, uh, we do a fair bit of flying in the jet and... Um we, we've actually been to Reno about five, six times. And you know, watching watching the jets run around, and uh, Kurt Brown and Mike Mango going round and round, and uh, very competitive and keeping close together. And we just uh, looked at that and thought, wow, wouldn't that be great to go and try and do something like that? And I think we just woke up one and said, let's go and do it. That's that's, that's pretty much how it came along. <laughs> now, interesting, uh, Mike Mangold, former Red Bull Air Ace pilot, um, he seems to me to be a very, very intense fellow, at least when he's uh, he's on the race, or at least that's the way they portray him. How is he in real life? Uh, he's a great guy. He's a really great guy. And, uh, you know, if you're going to ask him a question, you want to be prepared for 18 answers. And uh, if you ask him something, he, he will go right through the, the full depth of the whole the whole scenario and he's uh, he's got safety at mind all the time and he's, he's willing to help no, no matter what you ask him. He, he wants to help you. He wants to uh, wants you to be good, I guess, because the better you get, that means he has a bit of competition and, uh, yeah, and he's, he's really interested in um, 
everybody doing well. And you mentioned there before the break that uh, not everybody actually passes the uh, course to get their racing licence. What, what sort of percentage would, would we be talking here? Well, I guess, uh, well, there was a, a 10%, I guess. I think there was about uh, 10 of us or 8 of us that went in and uh, one or two didn't make it, I think. Uh, so it would be more than 10%. So, yeah, and they, they make it very clear that uh, there's always next year if, if you don't make it. And um, it's not a giveaway, certainly not a giveaway, that's for sure. And um, I noticed that uh, from the uh, from the videos that you guys have put up that you're actually not the only Australians there, which is uh, good news. No, we're not. We're uh, following Johnny Crookshawn. He's a, he's a uh, from uh, Gold Coast. He's flying, uh, this will be his second year in the Jets, but he's also been there two years prior to that, I think, or three years prior to that, flying the, uh, uh, the Formula One. So, And then we've also got Lockie Onslow. This was his first time in the Jets. He's from uh, Armadale and he's flying, he, he owns fleet helicopters in Armadale and he's flying in an Iskra jet. So you got Lockie in an Iskra, myself in the L39 and uh, John in the L29 with a Viper engine. I guess before we go too much further too, I mean, we should explain for our listeners uh, who are perhaps not familiar with the Reno Air Races, can you describe to our to our listeners what, what those races are about and, and how they're structured? For instance, are there different classes of aircraft? I'd say obviously there would be. There is all different classes. There's the um, Formula One, there's the, there's the uh, Pit Specials, I'm not too sure what they call themselves, and you've got the Sports Class as well, which is the... Uh, you know, like the glass air threes and things like that. Then you have the the T6 class, which is the Harvard, and then you got the Unlimited, which is like the Mustangs, the Sea Furies, and then you got the Jet class, which is uh, all straight wing jets. Yeah, I noticed uh, in the one of the recent videos you released of the from the training of the of you guys doing some formation and so on. That, Looked like there was a vampire in there as well. There is. There was a that was in that was in uh, fast clinic. So that was a fast clinic video. So yeah. before we went to do PRS, we done fast clinic, which is a formation pass out. Because you've got formation endorsements in Australia, in America you have to have a fast car to formate in jet. So we had to convert that to a fast clinic. So we formate with a, a uh, Alpha jet. A there was a T thirty three Iskras and. The other one was a vampire. Yeah. The uh, yeah, I was wondering that the Iskras were the one with the uh, the jet intake coming out the bottom back, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, there's, there's a small small jet. Um, they're a Polish built jet. There's a couple of them in Australia. There's some down in Canberra, in the Essendon somewhere. I mean, they're, they're around probably ten years ago flying, but you don't see any flying anymore. One of the guys I fly balloons with uh, did Melbourne to uh, Canberra very very quickly in an Iskra. Yeah, like I flew one years ago um, in Sydney. It was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why they're not flying anymore. I'm not too sure. Uh, of interest, I find that uh, with Reno, the Unlimited class can go faster than the Jets when you get the Sea Furies and, like, Strager, the very modified Mustang and things like that. No, no, they, they used can't. To. They used to, not anymore. Oh. No, they, no, they don't. Uh, Kurt Brown, which is the guy that, uh, which is our main instructor there at the... Uh, the jet class, he's and Mike Mangold too, by the way. They're running around just just under four five hundred and fifty miles an hour. So they're sitting right on the top of the speed there. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I remember it, you, or the fastest thing at Reno was uh, either Rare Bear or Strager. Yeah, it no, used, not anymore. It did used to be. I think the the fastest time for the Unlimited was five hundred and twelve miles an hour, and uh, Kurt Brown is five hundred and forty six miles an hour now. So there's actually quite a few jets that are quicker than the Unlimiteds now. But, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, the, um, now, you also mentioned Formula One. That's like the cassette races and aircraft like that, yeah? That's correct, yeah. Now, they're great little things to uh, 
uh, to watch go around the track. They've got uh, 100 horsepowers in them, and it's the first year this year that uh, they've allowed to have a few changes like electronic ignition and things like that. And they certainly get around. They get around the track at 250 miles an hour, and that's pretty quick for a little cassette racer. I tell yeah, you, when you're watching them. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been following Elliot from Team Wasabi, and uh, following his blog here and there, and. Yeah, it's quite fascinating to see what he's been doing. That, that's one of the most impressive uh, classes to watch, you know, we think as well, you know, along with the sports class as well. I mean, uh, the Glass Air 3s are getting around at 380 miles an hour. That's above V&E if you haven't realised. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you, and you're very low to the ground. So a big part of, of flying at Reno is dealing with um, emergencies and issues and so on like that. So what kind of training do they put you through to become a Reno pilot, especially what kind of contingency training do you go through? Well, you, you've got to prove to them. Remember, you're going to uh, you're going to that field and you're saying that you're a good pilot and you know how to fly the aircraft and you know all the emergency scenarios in your aircraft, so they'll put you to the test first. That's first and foremost. So you're going around the track at, you know, 400 miles an hour on the deck and all of a sudden they'll pull the engine on you and they'll expect you to pitch the aircraft up and dead stick the aircraft onto the onto the runway. And if you can't do that, well, you're out straight away. That's number one. So anywhere on the track, at any one given time, they can pull the engine on you and you have to get it on the ground. You have to get it on the runway. And, uh, you know, that's a bit unusual, I guess, for uh, general flying, but that's the way they teach it because you have to know your aircraft and that's expected of you, so um, you better do some homework before you get over there. And we, we've certainly done all that, and we, we expected that. And uh, when you go and do your check rides, that's exactly what they'll do. They'll, uh, you know, you'll be run around on the track, and you'll be um, 30 feet off the run, oh, 30 feet off the ground doing 450 miles an hour, and bang, off comes the power. And wow. uh, you, you've got to pitch it up and get it right up and get it onto the runway. Do you fly with live seats over, with hot seats over? No, you, no, you've got to have, the seats have to be cold. And I think that's a that's a rara rule. I'm not too sure if it's racing jets. I think it's like at the Reno you know, Air Association. I think it's to do with... Uh, Ejecting into another yeah. occupant, things like yeah. that. Because uh, there's nine people in formation and uh, you're at a line of stern a lot of the time. So you can eject straight into somebody else. Yeah. So um, that was the rules for that. Yeah, and they and they also want you to you know stay with the aircraft and control it if there's uh, you know something wrong with it, not not yeah. let it go. Yeah. So if it's if it's something that you can't land, I guess you've got to go try and get well, altitude. Well, yeah, you'll get altitude, climb away, get altitude, and point in the wrong direction, and out you go. Let's talk about the L39 that you're racing over there. Have you done any uh, modifications? I mean, is there is there much different between this jet and the one you've got over here? No. Uh, yeah, it's fairly the pretty much the same and uh, Mark's going to go over there a lot early and he's going to do some modifications to it. Yeah, we certainly are. With, we've got uh, wing tips on it and things like that that we will fit onto it. Uh, there is a lot of mods that we've got to do. We'd like to get another 50 miles an hour out of it faster. So there is a whole list of things that we're going to do, yeah. I'll be there about a month before the race. Are you able to tell us about any of those mods or are they like state oh, secrets? They could be state <laughs> secrets. We're just going to lighten it up really, pretty much lighten it's, the aircraft up. And, and yeah, rebalance. you know, as we just actually learnt tonight, uh, we're going through one of our competitors is 3,000, is it 3,000, Daddy? 3,000 pounds lighter than us. That's right, yeah. So we, we weigh 9,600 empty and uh, one of our friend friend of ours, is he weighs 6,400 and it's an L39. So as you can see, there's a lot of uh, 
that you know we've got a ton over a ton, 1.4 ton extra than him so it's like we're getting yeah. around the racetrack with a you know a load of dirt on the back <laughs> yeah, it's like you might have a lot of carbon fiber sitting in that airframe that's right so we have to um lighten it up and me and my um crew chief will head over there a month before the race and do a lot of work on it so it's, uh, are there lists of known mods you can do i mean you're, you're running an experimental so you can pretty much do what you like right yeah, it just pretty much take out some things that uh, is not required. Like it's got all Russian radios in it and it's got, you know, there's certain things you can take out of it, like all the cabling for the radios. It's like a couple hundred kilos of, of just cabling for the old radios that don't exist. Uh, things like that, you know, there's um, you move weights around because you take them weight out of somewhere else, you've got to take it out of the front. So we won't get to 6,500 pounds or 6,400 pounds. We take some out of it. Yeah. And take it and take the rear seat out as you well. Take, take, take the rear seat out. Uh, that that weighs 250 pounds. So yeah, well, it's not like you're carrying anyone with you. There's it's just no. Uh, so there's just basic things you do like that. You're taking the wing tips off as well and putting carbon fiber wing tips on, so you're losing weight and and, and cleaning the aerodynamics up of the aircraft. So we should try and squeeze another 50 out of it. And you talk there about your crew chief. I mean, uh, what sort of size is your team over there? Yeah, um, I guess, what have we got, Mark? Is about six of us, I guess? Yeah, there's six of us going over, um, and uh, that, that's about all for the team, but uh, that keeps us all flat out too because uh, our, our aim too is to keep Dad away from the aircraft and he's just to concentrate on flying it, especially come race time. We have uh, three of us that just work full-time on the aircraft and uh, and, and that's the main purpose is to, to keep the pilot away from the aircraft and he doesn't have any issues with it. But, uh, yeah, no, there's three of us do full-time and we got some... Um, yeah, I think that's about it, isn't it, Dad? Six of us all up. Yeah, then they'll keep it. That, you know, someone's got to fuel it, put oxygen in it, because you have to run with oxygen, even though you're down at ground level. We're at 8,000 foot density height, but uh, just for uh, race purposes, we all got to run with oxygen, so they'll keep it oxygenated, nitrogen, tyres up, keep it polished. I mean, we're collecting bu- a lot of bugs down in the dirt there, so uh, that slows you down. So the, the guys will be uh, debugging it after every uh, <laughs> race and, or, and every uh uh, test flight or um, qualification run. Yeah, I'd heard that uh, just giving it a polish can give you a few extra you know, miles per hour. Yeah, they, they, they say that there's a there's a word for that, what they use, and uh, it's pretty pretty vulgar, but they give it a good polish, and they reckon that uh, it keeps it going. Now, of course, you'll have your eye on the prize, like everybody there. I mean, uh, what is the prize if you uh, manage to take it out? Yeah, look, I'm not too sure that the, the prize pool for the for jet class is, uh, I think it's up to fifty thousand dollars. I mean. Uh, I think it's about a, a quarter of what you, each pilot spends to go and race. Yeah, but I mean we're certainly not there for the uh, for the money. Um, <laughs> we would we would like the trophy. I mean, <laughs> so there's three classes with the jet as well. They got you got the gold, silver, and uh, bronze. So there is money divided uh, up between all of them. We're not actually sure, but but as we say, we're, we're certainly not there for the money. And everyone openly admits that they spend more going to race there than they do what the prize money is. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and they, yeah, and even the uh, the unlimited. I think I'm not too sure which the prize. Two hundred. Two hundred thousand. I mean, you, you're running a P fifty one with a race engine in it. Well, that would... yeah, that's correct. They've they've got a three hundred thousand dollars spare engine sitting on the ground. If they blow one up Tuesday, they can race that on Wednesday. So that 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 puts it into perspective of what their prize money can do for them. Yeah, yeah awful for them. Yeah. I just about paid for the beer at the end of the race. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So so how do they separate out the gold, silver, and bronze in the jets? 
that will all go on, on times, I guess. Uh, we all got to have to qualify in times to get our specific speeds of what we're going to run at. So it's like a handicapping system? Pretty much. I mean, whatever speed you go around in in qualifying is what class you will go into. And they've got all sorts of different scenarios. If you, let's say, for instance, you tried this, what they call sandbag. If you tried to sandbag and want to slow the aircraft down, well, then you'll go in the bronze. And then all of a sudden, if you win the bronze, well, they'll either give you an option to forego the win and go into the silver or you can red, ride the fire truck on the bronze but uh, you know there's all that sort of scenario and they know what your times are and they don't like sandbag and they don't like people holding back and then coming up and winning the race yeah. all of a sudden passing everybody and uh, winning so yeah. they sort of frown on that so uh, they sort of watch that sort of like in golf they call them burglars and no one really the ones who gain their handicap yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I guess that's a good analogy. It's pretty much the same. And uh, But we'll be get shooting out there. I guess we'll be aiming for the silver if we can get into the silver race. We won't get into the gold race because that's the unlimited. They're, they're doing 550 miles an hour and they're highly modified um, aircraft. They're, they're light and right up and they've got Viper engines in them and you're not going to get nowhere near them. But Johnny Crookshorn's got a Viper and... Uh, we done some formation flying over there with him and uh, we took off in formation together and he took off like a bat out of hell. I'd, uh, I, he had to throw the rope out to come and catch me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a it's a different league. It turns them into a real airplane when you throw the Viper engine in them and they, oh, yeah. you just cannot catch them. They're, they're, they're out of sight. What's that kind of? thing cost oh it's pretty much just an old l29 and they've just um uh, they've tack welded a viper engine into it they're actually they they remove the engines out of hawker 800s and uh that actually doubles the thrust on a um than a than the standard l29 but costing wise it's still it's cheaper than buying an l39 but you you, you are riding a big scary rocket though uh, we, we 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 certainly don't want to modify our aircraft that to that extent. Um, yeah, it's, the, the analogy of that it's like getting your billy cart and putting a uh, 350 Chevy in it and running it. <laughs> <in> a... <laughs> yeah, a muscle plane. And that's probably yeah. the best. That's probably the best way to put it. It's probably a bit like riding in Grand Tire X7. Oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't modded it. It's standard stock 12A, mate. It's not going anywhere. Enough. I've seen you drive out of my court, Grant. <laughs> just 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 because yeah. you you know just because you hang out the window going. Ah! <laughs> Nobody got out a second. <laughs> now, if folks are interested in uh, looking at the Reno Air Races, they're on uh, September 14th through the 18th, and they can look at that at uh, airrace.org. Uh, but more importantly, we want to encourage people to follow Pracy Racing. I guess the best place to do that at the moment would be on the uh, Facebook page. Yeah, I guess at the Facebook page at the moment, we've got a, uh, at this present time, we've got a, a website getting built for Pracy Racing. We've got one for Jet Ride and Jet Fighter Rides, which we, we've got. And uh, I guess, yeah, Pracy Racing on Facebook would be the best until we get the um, Pracy Racing website up, which should be in a week or so, I guess. Yeah, that's in the next few days. That should be uh, up and going. Which that'll be PracyRacing.com, I believe. Always easy to get a .com. Yeah, that's oh. right. It's nice and easy. You can just direct them straight to it. Now, of course, if people are interested in taking a ride in the L39 over here, they can go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU. We like to put that in so you can track it. And, uh, or they can go to our website and click on the nice big banner at the top of our homepage. Sure, Ken, that's the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. And uh, you guys also have an arrangement with uh, Adrenaline, I think, don't you? Yeah, they're one of our agents that, you know, do booking for us. Uh, Adrenaline.com.au, they do all the adventure rides and uh, they certainly look after us as well. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, we might just, uh, guys, if you can stick around with us, we've got a bit of an announcement that we want to make. Uh, so we'll just go off to a uh, quick ad break and uh, then we'll come back out and we'll have a bit of a chat about uh, some things that are coming up. Okay. 
Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons from The View From The Lounge, and I've decided to take a trial instructional flight from Moorabbin Airport. Now, unlike the usual views from the lounge, I did a fair bit of research into this and came across an absolute trick bit of interweb kit. And this piece of kit has been both informative and instructional. It's CASA's new on-track web information system that lets general aviation pilots get up-to-date info for where they're flying into, how to get down, and how to get back up again. I think that's rather important stuff. They cover a wide range of piloty need-to-know things and provide the background behind the change from GAP to Class D. See, I have been paying attention. I gather the changes to standardise processes, something which I know only too much about. And for somebody who has no understanding about the old and the new systems, this gets you on track easily because it lays out the A, B and C of moving to Class D. I don't need to be a pilot to see this as an informative resource. If I were one, it would be an invaluable resource. Greater information for general aviation? I'll raise a glass of club soda to that. Want to advertise your business on the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast? Scripts and Voices has teamed up with the boys at Plain Crazy Down Under to bring you an exclusive offer. Scripts and Voices can make your ad to feature on this podcast at a specially reduced cost. That includes writing your ad, voiceover, backing music and production. To get your ad made in time for the next podcast, check out scriptsandvoices.com. Follow the link and send us an email. For advertising rates and packages, please see the Plain Crazy Down Under website. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. And welcome back. We are here with uh, the two Marks, Mark Pracy and uh, young Mark, Mark Jr. We, we still haven't worked out what to call you, Mark. Well, uh, Junior seems to be working lately. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we've talked about Reno and we've talked about going over to the United States, but before Reno, there's uh, there's another little air show coming up, Grant. Just a tiny one. I mean, uh, it, it's – oh, look, most people around the world haven't heard of it. It's, it's, it's a little one in the backwaters in the northern parts of the US, isn't it? Up near Canada? Of course, we're talking about uh, Air Venture 2011. And, uh, of course, uh, Baz, you're going to be uh, going there to represent PCDU. That's correct. I have my uh, tickets all for about 11 months now. Got your shirts? My, uh, yes, I've got. Well, I've got one, so I'm going to need a few more because I don't think I, uh, I'll have. I'll be able to wash them while I'm there. And of course, uh, David Vanderhoof, our uh, historian and military expert, he'll be there as well. And uh, up until uh, recently, they were going to be the only two members of PCDU that are going. But uh, we've got some really exciting news, Grant. Uh, it turns out that uh, we're going to head over there as well. We are. Oh, sweet! I better start organising. I did not tell you about that. No, no. What are we doing? Swimming? Balloon? Flying? How are we getting there? Well, uh, well, we might ask. Uh, we might might ask Mark about that uh, because um, I don't know. We're just talking in the break there. We were talking about some options for getting across, but uh, I don't know. What are we going the back of a DC three, Mark? Yeah, that, actually, we've got a uh, a beach eighteen. You can take that across there. That come from there. I suppose you can take it back. Oh, cool. <laughs> Now, we are very, uh, we are really thrilled to announce that uh, Mark and Mark at uh, Jet Ride and, and all the other businesses they run are going to be sponsoring uh, Playing Crazy Down Under to go across. So we're going to call it our Up Over Tour. That sounds exciting, Up Over. That's, that's, a, that's a good concept. <laughs> yeah, Playing Crazy Down Under, Up Over. A lot of the women start running as soon as we say it. I don't know why. <laughs> up and over. Well, as long as it's not an Up and Under, you'll be right. <laughs> 
Well, guys, uh, this is this is huge news for us, and uh, we've we've sort of been uh, arranging it over the last couple of weeks, and we've been uh, sort of you know bursting to tell our audience, but we we sort of needed to make sure that we got visas and stuff organised and all that sort of stuff. But uh, this is great news, and we really appreciate that uh, you've you've come on board with us and uh, helped us to do something that uh, for me is a bit of a bucket list thing. Actually, it's it's funny. I lived in the United States for two years, and I still didn't go to Oshkosh. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a pleasure for us to do uh, this for you guys. I mean, it's you guys are good for aviation in Australia, and you've you've got the right attitude and uh, is uh, trying to get things going which is what we're happy to do and uh, happy to be a part of it and uh, Oshkosh is a great place we've been there many a times and we've enjoyed ourselves and and uh, to have you guys go over there and experience that that'd be fantastic and uh, we're going to head over there and we're going to take some uh, pricey racing shirts we think and hand out as much uh, pricey merchandise as we can as well as a bit of our own probably but uh, it's uh, yeah the whole idea of uh, what we plan to do across there at Oshkosh is to um, do what we do on this show which is to try and focus on you know Australian and uh, New Zealand uh, involvement at Oshkosh and we're pretty sure that they'll have a a pretty reasonable presence across there so uh, you know that's what we want to go over there and highlight yeah I've uh, already been in, in contact with uh, the uh, Kiwi uh, government and the Australian government trying to work out who's going and what they've got set up so we can uh, start linking up with everyone before you even get there. I generally think, uh, Dad, there's about 400 people from Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, you go, when you go there, you go to the international tent and uh, take your business cards with you and you put your business card on the, on the uh, wall and you'll actually see who's there. So everyone goes to the international tent, goes to the, the, uh, the wall and... And everybody looks at each other's business card. Oh, such and such is here, and such and such is here. So you get to know, you know, who's pretty much there, and you'll bump into them. And even at the international, you'll actually go to an international visitors' um, uh, bit of a booze up, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, there is <laughs> that they they uh... and then they put it on for free, and everyone that's an international visitor goes and they feed you, and then uh, you have drinks on them and oh, free food, hey. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You go there, and they'll uh, you meet everybody that's there, and you meet all different nationalities and there's a lot of people there just internationally and I think Australia is probably one, one of the biggest apart from uh, Canada I guess I've heard that it's sort of Canada Australia or Australia slash New Zealand and then everyone else yeah pretty much yeah they would be the biggest contingent there apart from Canada but yeah so there's a, there's a good presence there for Australian you you meet lots of Kiwis and, and Aussies over there which is a good thing you know yeah. and this would be the, one of the best forums that uh, that our local industries have to to showcase their wares to the world I guess look it is if you've got something that's um, of interest and it's, it's groundbreaking I guess that that's the that's the place to take it to because that's where everybody's going to be. I mean, the Kiwis uh, a couple of years ago launched their jetpack thing there, which was pretty impressive and uh, it, it got a, a lot of media of attention. Now, I don't know where it is today, but when they launched it there, it got a hell of a lot of uh, media attention and uh, you would have to assume that there's only good things come out of it. And uh, I haven't followed them up to see how they're going with it, but yeah, I mean, it was a great launching pad. It also helicopters, single-seat helicopters. I remember going and watching like a single-seat turbine helicopter and they were just, again, you know, that had everybody all around the aircraft and uh, taking orders and, yeah, just from that demonstration. Yeah, well, uh, I've already spoken to the guys that we interviewed uh, back at uh, Natfly about the EQ1 wireless headset. Uh, yeah, we've seen those guys there. Yeah, yeah, well, your ground crew, your, I remember your um, guy running the ground operations when we were at uh, at Turidan, he was, he was mucking around with it and experimenting with it and... Uh, yeah, they're, they're saying they they themselves won't be there, but their uh, representative will be, who's uh, a guy from ATO Aviation. So we're looking forward to catching up with them. Yeah, I believe they're a West Australian company. Is that true? 
they, they are. They're from Western Australia, and uh, I actually met a couple of people at Reno this time that uh, know about those guys from meeting them at Oshkosh. So that that was um, it's certainly a good place to go to get your product out there. Yeah, yeah well, that's Gordon Marshall and the guys from SkySportsInnovations.com.au. Plug, plug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and 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 Mick Mick uh, was part of our ground crew. He has him in his um, Cessna 170, and uh, we, he picked us up from uh, Turidan, and we flew back to Tyab in them, and they're, they're fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah. absolutely fantastic. And that's the thing that Oshkosh and and I, and I guess uh, that that get those sort of products out on the open market and and, and put them to the world. And and I guess uh, I guess our aeroplane as well going to Reno, it's, it's the same thing. It's a launching pad for people that want to um, be sponsored and get on the side of the jet and uh, be known throughout the world. Because the same as Oshkosh and Reno, they're they're, they're big markets. Well, that's that's one thing we we should have mentioned too is that you are looking for sponsors for the jet and uh, what's uh, you know I mean, there's, there'd be several opportunities for people if they want to get their name on the jet. Absolutely, I mean that, that uh, we've actually got a few now already, and uh, there's certainly more available. Uh, it's a a big market. It's, it's bigger than NASCAR. There's over two hundred thousand people that just come to the uh, event through the gate. Plus, you've got all media attention and uh, ongoing constant text and media and radio that's going on, and uh, it's a good launching pad to get your product out and get it known to the world market. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the whole point of our program, we've been doing this now for uh, just coming up for two years, and, and the, the whole aim of our program here at Plane Crazy is to try and raise the profile of Australian aviation and the businesses that run it and try and get the good news stories out. I mean, you know, we can look around and, and it's pretty easy to find a lot of uh, not-so-good news stories, but, I mean, you're looking at businesses like yours, I mean, you guys are, are obviously doing well, and it just proves that if you you have the drive to do it, it can be done. And, and I mean, that really runs in line with what we're trying to do here is, is show that we have a, a good and positive industry here if people are prepared to work at it. This opportunity that you're giving us is, is hopefully going to really help us to, to get that message out even more. So uh, you know, I am probably babbling, but I am <laughs> I am thrilled beyond belief, guys. We can't thank you enough. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's fine. I mean, and I guess the big thing in aviation and uh, uh, is you've got to make yourself accessible. I mean, if people want to talk to you or if they want to come up to you, they're you know, you've got to make yourself uh, available to them. So if anyone sees us and they want to come up and talk to us about anything regarding the jet or the racing jet, I mean, just come and approach us. I mean, we're very approachable. We have lots of people say, oh, my, my son would like, love to just sit inside that jet, but obviously he's not allowed. And I say, why isn't he allowed? And we just grab him and say, hey, put him in, he'll be right, take a picture of him. I mean, it's all about, that's what happened to me when I was a child and yep, I was yep. pretty fortunate. So you just pass it on down the track. We M- make yourself available and don't put yourself on too big a pedestal. Yep. That works certainly for Nikolai, my son. He's been in, hell, he could only just see over the edge of the cockpit of a Mustang, but um, Guy Burke said, yeah, chuck him in there. Let's get a photo. That's right. Exactly yep. the same for scenario. And, uh, you know, he's still... Yep. He, can barely remember it, but he does. <laughs> that's right. I mean, and that's what you have to do, and you have to maintain that sort of uh, attitude to to keep the industry growing and, keep, and don't shut people out. You know, you you've got to um, entice them. The the whole elitist attitude of I'm a pilot, you're not. You got to watch that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, look, it is out there. Don't worry about that. I mean, it, yeah. it's out there, and it's probably out there in this country more than any other. So right. we've we've got to try and fight that. And in this country, we've got uh, certain pilots looking down on, on other pilots. Absolutely, that's exactly right. We've just come back from the United States. We flew with all; they were all military pilots, and they're all. Uh, do you know what? They, we flew with probably there was ten or fifteen of them. That they're all great guys. A whole lot of them. Um, uh, they said, you know, you ask a question. Don't don't assume 
anything, you must ask a question. Like you said, you asked about Mike Mangold. Man, if you ask him a question, you better be ready for 25 answers because he's going to give it to you. Yeah. And uh, he means it too. Like he's 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 um, concerned for your welfare, so he'll he'll go to the nth degree to to to, um, to tell you. And that's what they're all like there. And I think that's what we have to take a bit of that attitude and bring it around in this country and uh, spread that sort of thing around. Yeah. Well, especially with it being so hard to get a kid into an aircraft these days because of the fences and the you know, yeah, theatre and all that. Absolutely. I mean, you go to an air show in this country and then they, they rope all the aircraft off. I just, you go to the United States, you, you have a picnic underneath the aircraft. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why we do that, but anyway, well, that's what they do. Having been in a KC-135 at Avalon when there were a bunch of people around it and they're all knocking on the fuselage, that could be one reason for keeping some Australians away. It's like, okay, you can sit under it, you can look at it, but don't knock on it. You maybe, know? maybe it's the first time they've ever had to touch one. So you got to touch it. <laughs> I don't That's think right. you could do much damage to a KC-135 by knocking on the uh, fuselage. I That's know, right. but it was annoying because we were recording inside. <laughs> and you guys you guys will realise when you go to Oshkosh that uh, you can walk up and lean your coke on the intake of an F-16 without a problem. You know, there's not one fence there. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. When you're there, you know, you're, you're sitting underneath the F-16 getting away from the sun. So yeah. Mark, uh, you and I were talking the other day uh, when we were getting these tickets organised about an interesting stat. Now, how many aircraft are there on the register here in Australia? I, I believe there's, uh, of the GA, I believe there's 10 thousand aircraft registered and there's uh there's somewhat like eleven thousand or something that attend Oshkosh or there, there was more aircraft at Oshkosh than there than there, there was registered in Australia I heard a stat yeah. once and uh, yeah, I thought yeah. that was amazing. Well you, you you're ignoring the uh REOS uh, registrations and that's I think it's another six thousand. Yeah no well, actually but it's think... it's very close. Well the yeah. REOS, REOS has ten thousand uh, members, members. I don't know how many aircraft they yeah, have. Yeah about six thousand at the moment. Yeah, which is which is which is really good. You know, that's another great organisation that's pushing up and, and and doing the right thing. Yeah, Bez is our RAO's specialist. He's a uh, RA. What, what do you own, Bez? A sport, a sports star. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, well a, a guy on our race team, uh, Mick Poole, He's right into RAOs. You'd probably. Yeah. Know Mick Poole would be right in the RLs. Is that the Mick Poole that's the uh, operations manager of RLs? Or? That's, that's correct. He's actually part of the Pracy Racing. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was the gentleman who had the EQ1s down at uh, Turidan. Yeah, yeah. Mick, Mick's also a, uh, a war birder. He's uh, done uh, low-level aerobatics air shows with me in uh, Yak 52s and stuff like that. Yeah. Doing, uh, yeah, air show displays. Well, that's outstanding, guys. Now, uh, there's a lot of websites we want to go through here. Um, aircraftimports.com.au is, uh, is is a one to look at. Jetride.com.au slash PCDU. And, of course, we mentioned the Facebook page as well to follow the race team. Uh, you guys ought to set up a Twitter feed for that too, we think. Yeah, uh, we have we have to do that, actually. We've had a request from one of our sponsors that's um, sponsored in Pracy Racing there. We have to set up a, a Twitter account. And uh, do some tweets. Uh, I think they call it. Well, uh, Grant is the uh, Grant is the Twitter king, so he can help you with that for sure. <laughs> I don't know about Twitter king, but I do a lot of it for uh, <laughs> ballooning as well as for PCDU and my own personal uh, espousing of content. Now, uh, the other thing we should mention too, if people are interested in getting their name on the jet across there in Reno, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? I guess the best way at the moment would be uh, just to email. Um, uh, marketjetride.com.au so all get on the Jetride website and, and track us in through contact us on the Jetride website. 
Yep, or uh, p- people listening to the show, they can also send a query through here to uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com and we'll uh, we'll certainly pass that on for you. Absolutely. Well, Mark Pracy and Mark Pracy Jr., guys, we, we can't thank you enough. We are just thrilled and, um, you know, for us it's a bit of a vindication for all the hard work we've put into this program, but uh, people like yourself and, of course, our friends at Aviation Advertiser have done the same. They're helping us out here and we, we really appreciate it and uh, we're going to do our best to represent uh, your business through our business and uh, we hope it works out well for all of us. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So we're pleased to do that and... Uh Happy to be on board. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, we'll keep our audience updated with uh, news on how you're going across there with the race team. Uh, uh, we've uh, we certainly followed people like Matt Hall uh, through um, his Red Bull Air Race uh, exploits. So uh, we think this is a, a good next step for us to follow the race team as well. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. People have always asked me what kind of sport do I follow? What, what am I interested in? And I ask if it's the Formula One Grand Prix. And yeah, I was a little interested in that. But I always came back with Red Bull Air Race and Reno Air Races. That's the two big ones for me. Yeah, pretty much the same as us too. I mean, we uh, like things that go fast and fly and uh, live on the edge a little bit, I guess, and that's two of the sports that really do that. Yeah, I mean, the F1, the Formula One only ever flies when it actually, something goes wrong. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> and they're only doing 200 miles an hour. I mean, that's our takeoff speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that time that they, um, they put one of the guys in a tornado over in the UK. I, I think it was the Brazilian guy. And he was doing fine when they were just going side to side. But as soon as they went into the third dimension and threw him around a bit, he started going a bit green. That's exactly what we had at Jetride. Uh, Dad took up a, uh, a race car driver and, and he was fine. And as soon as they rotated, he was screaming. <laughs> yeah. the, the, worst thing, the worst thing about it was is that we didn't have the camera on him and we landed the aircraft and said, we've got to do that again with the camera on. He couldn't get out quick enough. <laughs> said, no way am I getting back in that again. And I said, no, you, we've got to put the camera in. We'll do it again. He said, no way. He was out. Oh, man. Uh, took, took off like a rabbit. He should have been a train driver. All I wanted to do when we got back down was go up again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's no. funny. It's funny, you know, you take, you can't judge people from uh, what they look like or what their build is or their stature is. You know, I've had guys come flying, at, uh, they're fishermen and they don't get sick and you can do whatever you like and they throw up everywhere. And then you get guys that uh, get sick and then they, they have a great time and you just cannot judge it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Time's getting away from us, but uh, we'll certainly be in co- keeping in touch and uh, following you uh, as you uh, get, head across there to Reno. That'll be really interesting. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. Thanks very much. Well, there we go. Exciting news, guys. And uh, I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm jumping here. It's uh, so exciting. And uh, boy, after all the hard work we've put into this show, it's it's a really great thing that this is uh, this is happening for us. And uh, you know, we, we really hope that we can get over there and uh, really represent Australian aviation to the best of our ability. Well, we'll definitely be over there trying to catch everyone who is selling Australian aviation and uh, record what they're doing and present that to the rest of the world. It's going to be uh, a down under view on the big show of Oshkosh. I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, you know I've been planning this for a year to go but it's it's great to have you guys there as well and uh, help out so don't have to uh, carry the flag all on my own. Yeah, yeah, you can exactly. send back all that editing gear I sent over to you now, Bez. Yeah. You can actually have some room in your suitcase for, you know, clothes. <laughs> what do I need those for? <laughs> What's this clothing thing? We'll just go jump in the in the lake, come back out and go, hey! So uh, our plan is to be over there. We'll do uh, probably a similar format to the way we covered Avalon with our uh, quick or not so quick casts, uh, <laughs> depending on how much content. We're pretty sure we'll find uh, bucket loads of content over there. So that'll be the plan, probably two to three shows, plus Potapalooza. Now we are 
we know that most of you listen to a lot of the other aviation podcasts, a lot of the American guys, and uh, so you'll all know what uh, Potapalooza is about. But uh, I guess for the few of you that don't, that's basically a gathering of all aviation podcasters uh, that are there at AirVenture. Uh, now, uh, the last couple of years, Grant and I have uh, made some uh, some comedy skits to send ourselves up, basically, and send it over there. But uh, this is going to be a, a, just an absolute highlight on a personal level for us. You know, these, these people that we've formed quite close friendships within the podcasting community, uh, we're going to be able to be there all assembled in the one place and, and finally meet all these people, and it's, it's going to be awesome. Indeed. I'm so looking forward to it, man. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be pretty full on. We're going to have uh, Baz over there, and Baz has already organized his accommodation and so on, but uh, Steve and I are going to uh, be pretty intense and literally get a tent and go camping with a lot of the other social media guys, and David Vanderhoof's going to come over and hang out with us, and uh, the other guys from the Airplane Geeks are going to show up as best they can during the course of the show. And uh, Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Yep, and we think uh, I think Milford from Flight Time Radio is there. I'm not sure if Charlie's going, but I, I know Milford is going, so... Oh, cool. That'll be cool. So, uh, But yeah, we'll have the guys from Uncontrolled Airspace. Uh, Rob Sigliano from the, uh, the New Pilot Pod Blog will be there. Uh, the Mile High Flyers and, uh, well, you name it. Uh, if they're podcasters, they'll be there. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, let's not forget the great man, uh, Mr. Tupper. Steve will be there. And uh, also uh, the guys from the Pilot Cast. I imagine uh, Kent and Bill and Tiffany will be there. Plus uh, also the uh, famous, uh, I can't say it, but I'm going to try, Pilot's Flight Podlog. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the guys are going to come on in. Student Pilot's Log. There's so many of us now, and it's going to be great to all just catch up. I think they're going to need a bigger stage. Now, the idea will be that uh, actually uh, due to Grant's work commitments, uh, he's going to have to head straight back to Australia after the air show. But uh, as most of you know, if you've listened to this show for a long time, you'll know that uh, most of my aviation backstory, in fact, comes from uh, my time living in the United States down there in the south in Arkansas. So my plan is to, uh, after Oshkosh, to uh, head down south, and uh, I'm going to uh, try and record as much content as I can with some people that I know are still living there that I that I did a lot of flying with at that time. I'm hoping to catch up with uh, one or two of my old instructors and uh, I'm hoping that I can get actually my host family, the American Air Force uh, now retired uh, family that I uh, stayed with at that time. Um, there's some really interesting Cold War stories there that uh, although they don't have anything to do directly with aviation, I think you'll find them interesting anyway. So uh, I haven't spoken to my friend Bill about that yet, but uh, we may <laughs> just get him talking and hide the recorder somewhere. But uh, there's some uh, really interesting uh, stories that uh, I'm hoping to collect while I'm down there. So uh, I'll be over in the States for the better part of three weeks by the sounds. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Mm, I shouldn't have told my wife. Have I told my wife? I'm not sure. Uh, if we don't see Steve again, we know that Kathy wasn't too keen on this idea. Yeah, I would have liked to have. Uh, you know, we have been, uh, we should point out, we've sort of been looking to try and chase some sponsorship uh, probably for the better part of about six or seven months. But, you know, it's it's, it's difficult to uh, pull something like that off for uh, for new media. But, um, you know, the guys at uh, JetRide have uh, just blown us away with this very generous offer. So we are just thrilled. Oh, yeah. We're not letting this one go. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. We're laughing all the way to Oshkosh. Yep, and we'll be bringing another sponsor on board soon, which we'll announce in uh, future episodes, uh, just to give us a bit of money uh, extra so that we can, you know, like eat. <laughs> oh, food. Ah, yes. You can only mooch so much. Yep, so uh, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all in the pipeline as well. Although, you know, Grant, it sounds like there's a lot of free breakfast going on over there. I'm up for that. Now, of course, uh, Baz, you're going to be over there, and uh, we've been, you know, jealous for a long time because we knew you were going, but uh, you'll be over there, not only there uh, doing some PCD work, hopefully, but uh, you'll be there, um, you know, showcasing your products. Oh, definitely. Well, showcasing, uh, maybe not so much, uh, but definitely uh, talking to a lot of people over there, and the main thing I want to check out for my business 
business is all the different ways that manufacturers have come up with of mounting iPads in the cockpit. And hopefully I can bring a lot of those, those products back uh, here and uh, hopefully find suppliers here for them or, you know, if needs be, I'll supply them myself. And uh, maybe drop by and check out Four Flight's latest developments and things like that because, I mean, how do, how do you guys fit with Oz Runways versus Four Flight? Um very separate, really. Uh, to be honest, we haven't. We, we know it exists. I've seen the videos on the site, but uh, the last thing we wanted to do was uh, make a copy of anything because you know we've got our own ideas about how things best work. Uh, yep. So we just started with you know what are the features do we want in there, and then try and make them as uh, as easy to use as possible. And uh, so yeah, Fourflight is of course uh, the, the major one in the US, and uh, well, we I guess we're the major one here now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. No, I was wasn't sure if Fourflight were trying to come into the Australian market or not. I don't know. I haven't really seen any any yeah. one make a move. I reckon they are as busy and as growing inside their own country, <laughs> at least what we are, keeping them busy. Yep. Uh, they've they've got to keep innovating because they do have more competitors than, than we have over here. Plus, you know, compared to the huge market they've got there, Australia is, uh, is quite small. So it's uh, the return on investment for them might probably not be worth it at the moment. But, you know, just as I can see us going into other countries, I, I fully expect some of the, the other big players to uh, to move into Australia as well. So we got to make sure we got to be, we're ready for that and we can uh, compete with them. And Bez, what's the website? It's simply ozrunways.com, OZ Runways. And of course, you can just find it in the uh, Apple App Store. Start typing OZ Runways and it'll all complete it for you. And, and that's us. You get a one month free trial and you know, test it out. Even if you're not a pilot and you're listening to this, just you know, go have a play. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And if people want to see a, a bit of a, a video demonstration of just how Oz Runways works, um, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, Grant, to a video that, uh, that Baz produced, uh, which actually I think is on the Adelaide Advertiser website. Yes, uh, the Adelaide now is one of the, the local uh, news corporation uh, daily. Um, and the, yeah, they did an interview on us. They, they do a lot of interviews with uh, local uh, new technology uh, developers. And uh, so this time was our turn. Cool. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, uh, we should wrap it up there, folks. So we've got a lot of editing to do to get this one out. And I want to get it out quickly because, uh, boy, we've been sitting on this news for for a little while and we're itching to get it out. <laughs> Just a tad. Yeah. But uh, no, this is this is outstanding. So uh, once again, folks, if you hit our website, make sure you hit the, uh, the Jet Ride banner at the top there and uh, get across and have a look at their website and you'll find all of the Pracy's business activities on that Jet Ride site. There's links to all of it. Make sure you uh, follow them too on their website. It's Pracy Racing, P-R-A-C-Y Racing and uh, they've got uh, quite a few followers already there but if you want to see some uh, some good YouTube videos they're all embedded on their Facebook site and uh, on their YouTube channel as well so get across and uh, have a look at what they're doing with that L39. Looks really exciting stuff. Indeed. It's a pretty sexy aircraft and look like you're having a lot of fun in it mate. Absolutely, and in fact, uh, my brother actually had a couple of uh, canvas prints made, which are adorning the wall of the studio here now, so uh, great stuff. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That's why you never come down here anymore, Grant. Uh, I was wondering when you'd notice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, really exciting times for us here at Playing Crazy Down Under. We'll uh, we'll be talking a lot about uh, Pracy Racing, and uh, of course we'll be talking a lot about the Playing Crazy Down Under up over to uh, probably the best name we could come up with at short notice, but we think it probably makes sense. (laughs) Up and over with PCD under yes whatever absolutely so thanks very much for listening folks as always we hope you enjoyed it we'll be back soon with another episode of playing crazy down under but until then we'll just remember this it's what's down under and soon to be up and over that counts you've been listening to playing crazy down under hosted by steve visher and grant mccarran show notes links to our forum facebook fan page youtube channel and grant and steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.playingcrazydownunder.com 
or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Speaking speaking of Reno Air Races, um, I think that's a reasonably good segue across to Pracy Racing. And I mean, you know, you've got the. Uh, whoop, okay, I've just got a message from Steve about throwing to the brakes. Sorry, guys, I blew that one. Oh, that was a good segue. <laughs> that was a good segue, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. We've got a bit of a uh, huge announcement to make. Actually, a bit of a huge announcement. That's uh, strange. Huh. <laughs> Welcome to Air Yugoslavia. Yeah. <laughs> you must be. Yeah, you must hold the chicken. <laughs> they are your emergency egress. <laughs> Nobody is having tea until the captain has finished with the tea bag. <laughs> oh, man. There was a, a friend of mine was in China internally, and uh, they took off. They're in a reasonably modern aircraft. And he said to the stewardess as she came past, he said, oh, you didn't do a safety presentation demo. And she goes, eh, we crash, you die. <laughs> like, eh, you got a point there. Too bad. Too bad. So sad. <laughs> Next. Well, actually, actually, what will uh, Chopper Reed's actually got a uh, the safety best safety video? Have you seen that one? No, it's, it's not actually video. Chopper Reed. It's uh, the Ronnie oh. John show. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's you haven't hilarious. Seen that? No, I've oh. not seen it. No. Well, you're going to have to Google it and get that and have a laugh. We're doing it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, he lets me do the odd edit of secondary things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Probably not good enough either, is it? No, no, no. It's, I tolerate it, but, you know, <laughs> his self-esteem is important to me. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll tell you well, what I was uh, – I, I didn't eat much for the rest of that day, but it was bloody worth it, I'll tell you. Oh, mate, I was getting the phone call after phone call after phone call once he was down, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was reve- his revenge for all the times I've called him after going up in the yak or when I went up in the extra. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the host. We're just the, you know, the, 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 mini- side, the, the side shows. Uh, I'm, I'm Sideshow Baz. Sideshow Baz. <laughs>